Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hi, everybody. Really excited about today's show. Typically, we have a little chat session at the beginning where we bring on producer Rachel, introduce the topic with a few relevant news stories. But we're going to get right to our guest today that I'm really, really, really excited about. And we'll get to all the other stuff at the conclusion of the interview. So as I've been saying on social media all week leading up to this, we are talking cancel culture today. What is it? Do people deserve to be canceled? Why does it happen? Do certain people get a pass? And why it's just such a frustrating topic in general. Today's guest is Robbie Suave. He is a senior editor at Reason.com. He's also the author of the book, Young Radicals, uh, Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump and Tech Panic, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook and the Future. He is also on the DC Advisory Committee to the US Commission on Civil Rights. I had to get all of your credentials in there, Robbie. So excuse the long intro, but thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for talking with me. So it's a delicate topic and I'm actually really strangely nervous to talk about cancel culture because (laughs) as soon as I brought this up on social media, immediately people were offering their ideas and justifications for why it needs to exist and why it doesn't need to exist. So I guess we lead off with getting your definition after all the research you've done, putting in work into both of your books of what it is even. Absolutely. I define cancel culture as this, uh, as the pressure, the system we live in, where people are punished disproportionately harshly for trivial things or, or things that are not as serious as the fate they suffer for having said or done them. Uh, very often we're talking about past comments often made in social media, possibly when the person was much younger and less wise, that are now resurfacing and being used against them and getting them fired or expelled or really ostracized. And a Mm -hmm. lot of these things are are examples where you'd say, well, that wasn't a smart thing to say. I don't like that. But it's your life shouldn't be over because of it. Yeah, I guess there are finer points in how people are quote unquote punished when it comes to cancel culture. You see people's entire careers derail, right? Which would, which would be on the more severe, serious end of the spectrum. And then you see people who for some reason get a pass and seem to be hopping right back on their celebrity wagon or whatever it is within months of their um, said cancellation. Chris Brown comes to mind. Chrissy Teigen comes to mind. Have you, in your research, noticed why certain people, and this can be a high profile person, or it can be someone who is relatively unknown, get a pass while others don't? Yeah, well, actually, uh, celebrities, famous people are best positioned to overcome cancellation and in, or in, even turn it around and become more famous because of the cancellation, because of the controversy. They're very well positioned to weather the storm because if they can't do you know, gigs or they're going to lose one hosting job or, you know, one movie deal. Well, there's, you know, they're, they're not going to starve in the, in the immediate future, but then beyond that, they'll, they'll probably, it'll probably be forgotten about and they'll, they'll probably come back and be just fine. I I mean, some of these people, you know, people like um, uh, Dave Chappelle, you know, is a comedian who comes, who's attempted to be canceled because he's saying controversial things, but that's actually part of his brand. And it sort of like speaks to his credibility as someone who's unafraid to say such things. So then it doesn't end up hurting him at all. So I, I, you know, I don't want to, I'm not making the case that cancel culture is some really bad thing because occasionally some celebrities like had a bad day that they quickly recovered from. But this is not the case for for your average person, 
you know, who has their embarrassing tweets from when they were in high school dug up and then gets fired from the job they just got. That does happen a lot. And that is really awful, I think. Is there any case that sticks out in your mind? And I do want to put a huge asterisk on this, guys. Uh, we're talking, of course, about cancel culture itself. But, Robbie, your book covers so much more than mm-hmm. just that. It, it, it talks about, um, well, politics, intersectionality, the way we view and identify publicly, whether it's um, gender or race or any of those things. So your, your book is not just about the way people react to any and every label. It's also about how those labels and the discussion about these labels became so important culturally. So we can dive into that maybe in a separate interview. But just focusing on cancel culture itself here. Um, You were talking about people who don't have a big name, people who might have had a Twitter account in high school, said something completely boneheaded and lived to see that tweet resurface. Um, Does any story stick out in your mind? And I know you did some serious work on two high profile media cases. Let's leave those separate. The Mm -hmm. UVA rape story, the Covington High School students, which was the face off um, between the young high school student and the Native American man on the mall there. But anyway, we're going to get to that in a second. What comes to mind when you think of someone who was not high profile, whose life was destroyed over something that resurfaced? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a there's this uh, famous kind of very uh, emblematic case uh, of this guy, I think it was from last summer, who appears in the background of like college sport, college game day, college football. And he ha- he's holding a sign that says, you know, Venmo me free beer money. And it's just kind of funny. And then it, it turns into the, so Budweiser thinks it's funny. So then they, they partner with him to raise money for charity. And he's like a local hometown hero briefly. You know, he's a security guard. He's not a public high profile person, but all of a sudden he's catapulted into the spotlight in a really positive way to raise money for charity. Then the local newspaper reporter is going to do a profile on him. And for some reason thinks has to, he has to search all of his past previous tweets. And it turns out that this guy had said some, you know, quasi racist or homophobic things when he was in high school. And that becomes part of the story, which immediately leads to Budweiser, like dropping this partnership and, you know, everyone online screaming that he's a racist. Um, Then people got mad at the newspaper reporter who did that. So they went looking for the newspaper reporter's tweets. And lo and behold, (laughs) that person had also, when they were a young person, said some inadvisable things. So then that guy got fired from the newspaper. It's almost like no one's perfect, Robbie. You know, it's crazy. Which is true, right. I'm sure I, I feel lucky. I mean, this is actually a theme of both my books. I feel lucky that I finished high school Uh, before smartphones existed, before everything that everyone said was, there's a permanent transcript of it because you said it in a a text or a tweet or on video, you know, we're now, we're now surveilling each other benignly, Mm -hmm. not, not necessarily for the purposes of hurting each other, but we're so surveilled that stuff exists and, and, and it's out there to, to come back and haunt you uh, at some later moment. There are some people who will say, though, this is a moment of reckoning for people who deserve to um, suffer consequences. And I say that in a in a broad sort of way for their actions or their their words in the past and other people who would moreover say, OK, it's easy for you guys to white people um, to just sit and talk about how, oh, gosh, cancel culture. I hate it when, you know, you're in the majority and likely the people being canceled are usually um, people who have offended somebody who's a, a minority in some way. What do you say to those critics? I mean, there's lots of uh, uh, people of color, uh, working class immigrants who you know face cancel culture kind of incidents in their in their own workplace, in their own life. Like it's not always al- along those lines. Um, I also think 
are we supposed to like I support the sort of criminal justice goals of of progressive I'm, I'm, I'm a libertarian, but I align with progressives on on policing and crime and and, you know, practicing broad tolerance and forgiveness. So it's kind of weird for those same people to say, you know, we need to release more people from prison. We need we need less. Uh, crazy long sentences. We need to be, you know, more tolerant and understanding. Are those people really saying? And we also must like ostracize you from polite society if, at when you were in a child or a mm -hmm. teenager, you did something stupid, because that would result in everyone being ostracized. Because as you just said, no one is perfect, and most people yeah. did or said something that would horrify them today if they recalled it. Yeah, I mean, think of the case you just brought up where this man, you know, indirectly or, or and then eventually directly raised, raised money for lots of charities. And now the good work that was done, even in the real world, the potential for more good work is erased because of that. I mean, it certainly is like, I don't know, it feels like a, a, a bit of a conundrum. You want people to do better and to evolve. And yet you're still held to a standard for things you may have done in the past. We really wanna dig into this with you, Robbie. I'm so sad we only have 20 minutes left here. Um, you have done some really, really great journalistic uh, work on the two stories we mentioned at the beginning of this interview, the Covington High School students and the confrontation with the Native American man in Washington, DC and the UVA rape story. Um, let's start with the UVA rape story and the work you did to sort of um, flip that on its head. And of course I have to, because of the day and age we are in, put the giant asterisk on it saying, in cases of sexual assault and rape, you know, usually the person reporting the crime is not making up a story or lying in any way. But in this story, you discovered some very big inconsistencies and did some serious work to sort of flip that initial narrative on its head, so much so that the initial publication kind of came out and right. changed their tune. So give us right. the quick version of what you did there. Yeah, and, and this story highlights what you just said. Because you're right that most people that report a crime, any kind of crime, especially a, a sexual crime, to the police are, are not lying. People, you know, it, it does happen, but very rarely do people, you know, falsely make a false report to the police. But the UVA rape story was never reported to the police. This was something that it, that this this uh, this student at the University of Virginia claimed had happened to her that was horrible, and a a, a journalist for Rolling Stone magazine became interested in her story and then did a very, very bad job reporting it. Uh, Im importantly, she did not interview the person that the student claimed had sexually assaulted her horrifically at a, at a fraternity partner. Uh, partner. She also did not, the, the journalist did not verify that this person even existed. She did not get this, this person, the assailant's identity. It turns out this person was made up. This incident never took place. The, the, it's, there, there are many ways at which it was eventually disproven. The, the friends in this article, uh, friends of, of, of the victim, Jackie, are quoted as having you know, described what had happened. Those friends are real. But later, after the story fell apart, they said none of this ever happened. We were not involved in this. So they're, they're, the lie came out eventually. Uh, but it, it was allowed to go to print because the journalist never sort of kind of questioned her biases or assumptions about this and just did a really bad job reporting it. I was one of the first people to I, I'm sure many people had skepticism when they read the story, but I was one of the first people to uh, publicly express my skepticism of the story. And, and then after I did so very, very quickly, and I poked some holes in it. Um, it, it, it it fell apart. It was evident that she had not done the due diligence and that the person did not exist. <laughs> that feels like a dangerous um, walk to tread, like to be the first person to say, I don't believe, um, you know, a, a potential rape victim story. Uh, what was it um, that screamed irresponsible reporting to you in the beginning stages that really raised the flag? 
Absolutely. I, so I've written a lot about uh, sexual misconduct on college campuses. I write a lot about the intersection of due process and free speech and just college uh, lifestyles. Um, I, I've covered tons of cases of college sexual mi uh, misconduct. You, uh, very often, these are these are not these are usually not premeditated instances. These are instances where uh, people are drinking and taking drugs, and then boundaries are are, are crossed because consent cannot be given. Um, this was a case, according to the victim's story, that, sh that she was fully sober and like dragged upstairs and held down by nine different men who assaulted her as part of a initiation ritual. Um, th that is such an extreme story. I mean, how would they have ever expected to get away with it, right? Usually the perpetrator doesn't plan it out. And then also so much al alcohol and drugs are involved. So then it's hard to remember what exactly happened. This was a case where you would have expected the person to go immediately to the police and they'd be caught because she knew who her assailants were. So that was such an that was a very it, it's not as if it, it absolutely couldn't happen. But I had never in all my my instance, my writing on this topic, seen a case of premeditated group sexual assault without the president presence of drugs and alcohol. Let's talk about the Covington High School students. It's just that image that went viral immediately. And frankly, it was hard to not get angry when you see a young man, a white man in a MAGA hat face to face with a smaller Native American man having some kind of exchange or some kind of energetic exchange happening that was negative in some way. And people reacted viscerally online, on Twitter, on social media, saying, oh, my God, who is this punk? What's happening? Um, your work and other people's work also kind of flipped that story on its head. Um, give us a, a brief description of what happened there. And then we're going to tie this all back into um, the cancel culture topic. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, people were reacting on social media to a quick viral video that appeared to show these white Trump supporting uh, high school students having a confrontation with this Native American man. So I thought I was going to write something about it. So I started looking around and it turned out there was actually much more video footage available. So I watched the entire like hour plus of what had happened right before this. And it turned out actually the, the high school kids were being harassed by this third group of, it, it's like a cult, they call themselves a black nationalist cult. I've actually encountered these people on the streets of DC before. They harass women, they shout insulting things about like Jewish people, gay people, et cetera. They're, they're a crazy group. And they had been yelling at these kids for an hour and the kids didn't really do anything um, uh, wrong at all in response. And then they were kind of like cheering. They were trying to drown out that group's um, vile harassment. And it's at that point that the Native American man came in and sort of interceded almost as if he was defending the crazy other group. So I, it, it confused the kids. And I don't know that all of them acted appropriately. But the one that was acute, Nick Sandman, who was accused of mm -hmm. you know getting in his way and staring him down, was actually, once you could see the rest of the video, was not doing that at all. He, he did not get in his way. He was trying to calm the situation. He motioned to his friend to not engage whoever this person was. Like, they didn't know what was going on, but they were, they were absolutely not staring down this person in a racist or menacing way. So, they, so it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a misleading clip that when you saw the rest of the video footage, like, there was a lot going on here, but you would not conclude that, like, these kids were were unapologetic racists who had decided to ruin this this random man's day. What what has your experience on those two stories alone led you to believe about how accurate, for lack of a better term, cancel culture inevitably is? Like, are we are we targeting the right people when we try to cancel people? Um, I look at those two stories and I think immediately, oh gosh, those are pretty big mistakes. 
Yeah, I mean, the, we have a very unhealthy media climate um, right now. The media is the mainstream media is is a predatory organization that is unfortunately always looking for people to destroy. I'm, I, I'm talking about the people in my own industry and in my own field who are who are increasingly lazy and reliant on social media, which has social media has this distort, distorted um, window into the world uh, where it's not entirely always accurate. You need to go looking for more information. You need to find the broader context. But so many in the media don't do that anymore. And it, it leads to things like this where you just where you just believe what you want to believe or you're looking for people to own or destroy. I mean, what the journalists should think about, is this even a person who's important enough to be worthy of this scrutiny? Um, is this if it's a political figure, is this someone running for office? Is this someone with wealth and influence? Then maybe we care about what their tweets are. I'm, I'm still not sure we care about their tweets from when they were in high school. But that, you know, that kind of uh, thinking about whether uh, whether the, the scrutiny, because in this day and age, you can invite harassment on someone. You can get someone's you, you, to get harassing mail, to get to get fired from their job, to, you know, to really wreck their to have their name forever be associated with the the, the crime you're accusing them of I've, crime um, online in google searches so you have to be a little bit more careful i think people in my industry should, needs to be more careful about about leveling charges like this um given that they stick around forever and, and the industry has not kind of recalibrated its norms um for that for the reality we live in yeah, the news cycle in and of itself demands just a complete refresh. And I mean that literally like on a web page and, and sort of theoretically every hour. I mean, we have been trained at this point to expect something new, fresh, hot, breaking mm -hmm. every time we open our phone. And so, you know, our voracious appetite for scandal, I'm sure, is feeding into this as well as news consumers. And as a person who used to work in media, I mean, you know, you're asked report on trends, find out what people mm -hmm. are talking about online. And it is physically, well, mentally, I guess, impossible to completely check on everything, but it's a very, very dangerous spot. I post, uh, put the question about uh, cancel culture on Instagram yesterday. And one person said to me that um, in her opinion, cancel culture is valid because it's just one way to hold people accountable for real damage they may have done in the past with their words or their actions. What do you make of that? The problem is we can't, we can't exactly uh, have people suffer the consequence they should suffer for their words and actions. You're right that some people's words and actions are wrong and they should be held accountable for them. But that accountability should often take the form of that thing you said or did was wrong. Here's why it was wrong. And you should be sorry and you should apologize to the people it, it harmed. That's what, ha honestly, if you think about what happens in, in the K through 12 education system, that's what it is. If you, if you hit someone, if you say an insult to someone, if you, if you, uh, you know, steal someone else's uh, homework, what happens? You're, you're, you're disciplined in proportion to what you did. You have to clap erasers. You have to go to detention. You have to write a paper. You have to come to some kind of reckoning about what you did. But unless, you know, unless you like, like, really assaulted someone it's not going on your permanent record it's not going to wreck your future employment or it shouldn't wreck your your future employment or educational options that should be the same in these cases but you know when you call someone out now cancel culture being the way it is they could have people screaming death threats at them for weeks because of what because of your righteous indignation about what they have done so is that do people deserve that do people who said something sexist or racist or homophobic or whatever it is a long time ago and are sorry about it like do they deserve to have 
death threats hurled at them for for forever to lose and to lose their jobs? Like, I don't think so. That doesn't seem fair. So the, the, the accountability often goes well beyond what the thing you should be accountable for actually was. Yeah. The punishment, not fitting the crime in other words. Not at all. And there's no one, and there's no tribunal here, right? It's just us. It's just the people. There's no judge saying, here's your sentence for having done some, you are now canceled. I cancel thee. And here's your sentence. That's not what occurs. It's mob justice. It's mob justice. And frankly, on Twitter, it's whoever gets to you first. Being yeah. Having been the target of some vitriol online before, it could be guilt by association. I was sent death threats for being friends with someone who was perceived to be racist for one moment in their career. Literal death threats in my um, it's in insane. my hands. That's insane. It's, it's pretty crazy for having only been a follower of this yeah. person who didn't actually, it's a whole thing. Um, that, it raises the question too, you know, who the, the tribunal, the, the judge and jury that you that you just referenced, um, it's assuming that those people are of greater moral standing too. And obviously we know that that's not always the case. So it's just a very frustrating situation for anybody who's ever been targeted online really in any way. Yeah, yeah. Again, we're all, we are all sinful. We are all guilty. We, we've all made mistakes. We need to learn from them. And I, you know, I, I, I want to, I'm a journalist. I call out a powerful figures. I, I'm a political journalist. I criticize powerful members of both parties. My new book, Tech Panic, is about how many of the like leading figures in the Senate who work on tech issues are all wrong on both sides of the political spectrum. So I, I'm certainly not saying you, you shouldn't criticize people, but you should think about whether the person you're criticizing, uh, A, whether the thing is, is so bad that they should like suffer the thing they're, they're about to suffer and, 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 and be, you know, whether there should be some limiting principle involved. Is there a world where you see cancel culture serving a positive purpose or a world where we collectively wake up sort of to the power of our online influence and the power of um, us to influence other people's ways of thought without sort of overdoing it? Like, are, are we headed towards something greater? Or do you feel the cancel culture will continue to exist in some form and fashion as long as we're communicating with other people online? I, I absolutely think this is going to, for the most part, continue. Uh, again, I think journalists could establish better norms that would limit some of the damage. But obviously, that's not going to be the case for like random people who come after you. Um, social media you know, they, they're constantly the the platforms themselves, which I think drive a lot of this problem. Uh, are constantly thinking about new ways to limit harassment, um, to, you know, to de-incentivize it or to turn it down in terms of the algorithm and other things like that. So I would encourage them to, to continue to explore those options. I think, broadly speaking, we just need to develop sort of norms as a society, this in particular, that things you said and did like before you turned 18, unless they were violently criminal in nature are going to be just forgotten and not discussed anymore. And I, I think that would be fair. What about after 18? Do we get, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm listening. We all think we're great. We all think that we're operating from a place of authenticity and caring and goodness. And so I would like to think, you know, that most people use social media, not as a weapon, but as, as, as a powerful, I'm sorry, a positive force. Um, I wanted to ask you about the uh, Justin Trudeau thing particularly. I don't know why that just popped to mind, but a picture of him surfaced wearing blackface many years mm -hmm. ago, I think in college. We've seen many people, um, pictures of their Halloween costumes surface that were deemed culturally inappropriate or cultural appropriation in some way. Um, what is like, based on your research, the average length of time? We saw him, of course, he he had to come back because he was still in the middle of his term. <laughs> but 
what is the average length of time that you have seen people's careers be impacted if they do in fact ever bounce back from something like that? It's so random. I mean, sometimes people bounce back immediately. Sometimes people like, and this was, and I said earlier that a lot of celebrities weather this stuff pretty easily, but Aziz Ansari, who was accused of like having a bad date by this really, really gutter journalism website, uh, babe.net. And he was canceled for like a long period of time. I think very unjustly, you know, he had to like very much retool, like he couldn't, he, he was not appearing in public life for a long time. Um, so that was really bad. Um, Justin Trudeau. Yeah. And then I, I had, so I was asked to dunk on him for various news shows and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Cause I don't care. And I think this is stupid. Uh, the outrage over Halloween costumes is particularly palpable on college campuses. Um, it's it, cultural appropriation is kind of its own topic, but some, obviously you shouldn't wear blackface and you should be criticized if you did that because it speaks to a particular, like a specific racist history where, where, you know, white people would, would do that, you know, a hundred years ago and they're taking actual roles from black people and it's very bad. And, you know, has the, it was a racist caricature. So that's very bad. I, I differentiate that from just cultural appropriate, what is called cultural appropriation, which is like enjoying other people's cultures or like cooking their food or wearing their clothing. Like there was a controversy over some young woman who wore like an Asian style prom dress and everyone flipped mm -hmm. out that that was cultural appropriation. I think that is absurd. There is no, no one's culture belongs to anyone. Culture is an always mixing, changing kind of thing. So the idea that like a white person or a black person or an Indian person couldn't wear an Asian prom dress, I actually, I think that's like totally insane and it, and is not a norm that should be enforced. And in fact, you should mock people who would try to enforce it. I like, could, could your, could your, should your black daughter not dress up as Moana for Halloween, that would be, that's absurd to me. That's totally absurd. That was a whole thing too on all the mommy yeah. blogs and mommy parenting sites. Yeah. I mean, the whole discussion yeah. about the Moana costume in particular. God, I want to talk to you for so much longer, <laughs> Robbie, but we have to go. I do want to let you speak to um, your new book, what that's all about. And if we have a few minutes, let's talk about Young Radicals, which was your previous book as well. So let's start with the new one. Tell us what it's called and what it's about. Uh, tech Tech Panic, uh, Why We Shouldn't Fear Facebook in the Future. There are so many, and, and we were just doing it. We were talking about some of the considerable downsides of social media. So there are all these calls to regulate social media right now or to break up big tech, et cetera. I actually think, though I have a lot of issues with, with social media, that these calls are misguided and we're often missing the considerable positives of social media, positives like what you and I are doing right now, which is having a, a interesting and stimulating conversation across a vast geographical distance made possible by these exciting new tech platforms that that mostly promote and make easier and make better our lives, our ability to communicate, our ability to socialize. So we should not like throw the baby out with the bathwater when we think mm -hmm. about what so the positive impact social media is having on our lives. Let's talk about Young Radicals and what's in that book as well, because it was so much more broad spanning than we discussed today. We focused mainly on cancel culture, but there are so many other topics in here. So tell us about this. Yeah, I, I chronicled a lot of student activists uh, who uh, during the, the Trump years, uh, student political activists, often of the left. What I found very interestingly is that many of them, and, and this is a criticism I'm making of them, uh, there's, a, there's a turning against the principles of free speech. Free speech used to be this very cardinal value of the progressive left. Think of organizations like the ACLU that defend free speech and due process. Many uh, of today's student activists that I talk to 
uh, valued their own emotional comfort so highly that they thought if someone was going to say something on campus that would offend them or, or make them feel hurt, that would be that was more important than free speech principles. And so there should be efforts to limit their ability to do that, which I think is a very sort of legally, tactically and constitutionally suspect thing. So my book is an extended um, exploration of that topic and then a criticism of 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 them for kind of embracing that for the, you know, the deplatforming of speakers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, even their own professors. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, I. Highly recommended to anybody, um, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, we are all about getting outside of our comfort zone here. And I really, really encourage somebody, if something makes you uncomfortable or makes you angry, if you want to punch your TV screen, just watch it for two more minutes because it means you're being stimulated and you're not living in an echo chamber, which yay for difference of thought and opinion. Um, Robbie, really quickly tell us where we can find you online as well as where we can pick up the books and when the new one will be out as well. Yep. Uh, please follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's just my name at Robbie Suave. Um, the the book, the new book, will be out at the end of the month, September twenty eighth, I believe. You can pre order it on Amazon or anywhere else that books are sold. Awesome, Robbie. We're grateful for your time. Thank you for doing this. It was such a broad brushstroke way of digging into it. And there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about, but maybe we'll plan that down the line. So thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. All right, let's bring on producer Rachel to wrap things up. Oh, I wish we had so much more time. There were so many other things I wanted to ask, but um, what do you think about cancel culture, Rach? I agreed with so many of the different points that Robbie made and that, especially in the, like the punishment does not always fit the crime and, and that there is to be punishment, right? Like when we were kids in school, if we did something wrong or said something bad, you know, we were, you know, we had to write, I don't know what's happening with my hair. We had to write a letter about, you know, what we did wrong and and to learn from the mistakes, which I think is what's missing in the cancel culture, right? Like, and and we're just being judged by social media and like trolls and half the time mm-hmm. these aren't even, these are people just stirring the pot. And so I think, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what uh, Robbie had to say and also what happened to giving people an opportunity to do things better next time. Cause like he said, we've all made right. mistakes. I've made mistakes. You've made mistakes. Like we've, we've all, everybody does. So why right. do you act like so superior? I mean, um, is, is yeah. hard for me to stomach and feel like, yeah, cancel that person. I don't think I've ever said that about any person in this cancel culture, you know? No, no, it's interesting. And you and I have talked about this before. I identify left of center. I'm, I'm a centrist in a lot of ways, but I'm, I'm, I'm a progressive liberal thinker in most ways. And even someone who quote unquote identifies with the right side of things as in the correct side, I'm scared to speak out because I say, I mean, you there's no right words that anybody could say these days without facing some level of criticism or, you know, it's not broad enough of or inclusive enough of a term that you're using, or it's just, sometimes it's exhausting. And I'm saying that as someone who, who for the most part is a pretty progressive liberal person. It, it feels like you're, what, what, what's, you know, like eating your own, like a snake eating its own tail. I mean, I'm not sure as someone who would love to see, particularly on, on some social matters, some progressive matters really make progress and, and really um, gain some headway for future generations. I'm not sure what good we're doing when every time someone opens their mouth, um, there's criticism lobbed at them or they're targeted or they're doxxed or they're, I mean, it's, 
it's endless. And like Robbie said, no one, no one person is perfect on every stance. And so that's why we just always try to encourage, like sit down with someone you don't agree with. Like I used to be a little bit when I would sit down with someone who was very conservative or very, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, Different opposite of opinion me. Of you. I used to like, yeah, I used to like sweat buckets, like, oh my God. And now I'm like, bring it. Like, let's talk about this. And let me understand. And, and you can begin to see that the person holding those beliefs, you can begin to be- separate the person from the beliefs at times, assuming it's not some sort of heinous belief that they hold. But it's, it's, people are not willing to do that these days. People want to be judge and jury. People want to be morally superior. People want to be in a position online and everywhere everywhere else where they can say, no, no, I was right. Look back in the history books. I never did that. I never tweeted that. I never said that. It's just like a need to be constantly right that I feel like really drives a lot of this cancellation. It does. And I think part of what it, it pulls into as well, and Robbie had mentioned this, was, was the social media sort of um, algorithms. And we talked about the documentary on Netflix, how it's feeding you only what you believe and what you want. And when right. you're constantly being told you are correct and you are right and you are va- valid and and justified in your beliefs because 20 other million people on this platform said, said so, um, you don't want to be wrong because then if yeah. you're wrong, who are you? Your whole right. belief system starts to become in question. And so that's why people get so defensive when they're being questioned about their, their beliefs, right? Because if, if not, if you're not right, then who are you? And right. you don't want to deal with that. That lives in that fear culture, that fear mindset of, of what, what all of is happening in media That's so and true. social media, you know? Yeah. It's almost like destabilizing. You think, Oh my God, I actually don't know everything. I actually don't. I mean, I have found, and I've said this before too, like I have found that the, the best periods of growth in my life have been the times where I've been in the minority in thought or the minority in race even, or the minority, like, you know, that's where you learn, right? Be around people who, who aren't like you. And it's just really frustrating to me because like you said, the algorithms feed into that. Our social circles, our, our neighborhoods, you know, we tend to demographically be around people who are like us. I mean, everything around us becomes a bit of an echo chamber if we let it, but um, you know, that's why I'm committed to just continuing to, to talk about this kind of stuff because other people aren't the enemy. I mean, usually they're not the enemy in any realistic way. Yeah. It can be hard when you are having a conversation with somebody that is so dramatically opposite of your beliefs and you may deem to be completely wrong and like morally unjust to humans. Mm -hmm. It's hard. um, And I think that it's okay sometimes when to draw a line and say, you know what, I, that person isn't open-minded enough and they're not willing to at least hear me either. Right. They're just right. too busy defending their point and mm-hmm. aren't open to having a discussion. So you take that, like you can take that growth and information from that person's point of view and then maybe never have a conversation with that person again. But yeah. you've, ta- you've understood, right. you've learned, you see their point of view. And then, you know, maybe we don't ever have a conversation with that person again because it's yeah. not going to go anywhere and some people don't want to change and and you have to kind of go okay well this isn't helping anymore this isn't helping society i i tried and i gotta call yeah. i gotta i gotta i gotta get out I of know. this there, i know there are some things that i'm pretty steadfast on that i've realized okay these are topics that i just can't bring up with this subset of people in my life 
and you know it's right. fine and it's willing, fine it's it's, but the, it's the part if they're not willing to hear you right you are right. willing to hear them it's like right. that disconnect then that's that's where in lies the problem and like that's the challenge with tough conversations with anybody in your life is if they're not willing to like hear or you can't communicate with each other in a way that you can be heard and understood you know, that's what we need to work on. I think as, as a whole, I, I try every day. You, you have to, every person you communicate with learns and talks differently. So have you ever been in a relationship, like a close relationship, friendship or romantic relationship with someone that you did not agree with either philosophically, like life views politically, spiritually. And like, how did you find that whole process? Um, well, so, so, oh boy, Sonny, there's stories I can't share publicly, but there have been people that I have disagreed with in relationships on, um, political things, but we were right. able to have a discussion about it and I was willing to hear their side and they were willing to hear mine and they never hold, held it against me or, or mm -hmm. threw it back in my face. So that's fine. And we were, we're able to have just a very real conversation and pose questions to each other. Certain um, more strict religious beliefs about, um, let's see, let's, how do we put this? M marriage and, you know, sexuality. I think sometimes your values are just, they don't align. And I have yeah. to, you know, end that particular romantic relationship because it, it just- Because they didn't want to have sex before marriage? <laughs> Literally. Oh no, what? What year is this? Were you, have you been alive since 1912? Like this cannot have been a current man. What? So Rachel. it's sunny. I know. I can't believe I just shared this publicly. Well, no, we're not going to ask you to <laughs> no, but reveal but, any incriminating evidence about this person. But I just, I'm shocked because I was too. And the, and the thing is, is I respected that his, his choice. Sure. Um, and we, I thought about it. I really took the time. I was like, okay, you've got to give me a minute to like process this and look at my values compared to yours and 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 where does this fall and how does this work fundamentally and it it doesn't and it, and yeah. i hold marriage to a lesser value than he held marriage it wasn't necessarily about the sexual part but it was like i don't value these things in the same way that you right. do and that isn't fair to either of us and that's not going to fundamentally work and he yeah. understood it. We had a whole conversation and, and, and it was fine, but we were like adults about it. You know, that is crazy to me. Now, when we get off, I have to ask you if I know this person. <laughs> you don't. Also, you don't. What, what reasonable <laughs> person. I mean, like, how do you not want to sample the goods before you're like locked into the market forever? You know what I mean? It's, it's the way people, people are brought up differently. They're. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically they, I'm supposed to be brought up that way, but I mean, look, there's well, yeah, no me part too, of me, girl. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I just, come on. You can ask a lot of me, but I, even, even when I look at raising kids, do I want them to be with someone forever romantically and not know them in a very real and important way before they take that vow? Because I want the vow to be the serious part. That to me is the commitment, right? Not the sharing of anything beforehand. It's the promise that you stay together. It's the legal binding. It's the spiritual contract. It's not like, so that's just me. I mean, you know, I, I just, oh, yeah. wow. Okay. It was a very interesting 
um, experience. And I, and like you said, like I learned so much from that because he was so different than me in that Mm -hmm. way. And we were able to still have a conversation about it. And I was able to share my beliefs and thoughts on it. And he wasn't critical or judgmental of it. And these are the kinds of things where you just learn more about different people. And then you learn more about yourself. It was like, yeah, it's true. You learn what you value Mm -hmm. and what's worth it, worth sacrificing and what's not. Um, well, this was good. I feel like, um, yeah, yeah. I feel like Ringo's Ringo. had a meltdown in the background. I don't know. I think somebody just came home. But um, I was going to say, I, all the talkers I pulled up before were just, you know, a little bit of some of the celebrities that have been, you know, canceled. Yeah, we mentioned that, too. You you listed a yeah. bunch of celebrities who face cancel culture. Kevin Hart, Megyn Kelly, Joe Rogan, Kanye West. Um yeah, it's interesting. Joe Rogan most recently. Okay, who do we have first there? Is that Joe Rogan on the left, right? Yeah, yeah. Joe um, Rogan. He, right, that was all related to the vaccine and how he was apparently talking about suggesting that people don't get vaccinated if they're otherwise healthy. And then he came down with COVID, so people were trying to cancel him. Yeah, I mean, it's what just Kevin like, cancel for? Um, Kevin Hart, I can't remember what it was. Looking and it Kanye up. West, of course, you know. Oh my God, there, there's and no wrong what? that Kanye could do in my mind. <laughs> like truly, I love him. I, I don't care. I mean, short of like attempting to murder me, I feel that he's a creative genius and yeah. that his gifts to the world, I'm like, be as crazy as you want. And that's the other thing we have to be okay with. Let yeah. people be as batshit crazy as they're born to be. And I'm not saying that in a mental health way. I'm saying that in a creative way. Like, go, do you, be you, don't kill people, don't hurt people, and it's fine. Because, like, if we look back at history, all of the, so many of the creative painters and artists were, like, rapists or Tempor- no oh god we do not support rape here no we, we don't do not, oh, no we're saying no. that no i just think there's yes. a lot there's a we're lot saying that people have people. separated the work of creatives from their personal lives before yes right and, and yes, yes, well, yes the point i was going to make was that a, a lot of creatives might be deemed quote unquote crazy right or like like people are like Kanye's crazy you know and that's That's not you know but you've I think some of the most creative people have some other side of their mind that works so differently that Mm -hmm. and nobody's freaking normal nobody is normal nobody's normal now you know what I would love to see I would love to see the um DMs and text messages of some of these people on the moral high ground. You know who's getting blowjobs in the public bathrooms, and it's not the people that are very socially liberal. I mean, come on. It's the people with the biggest secrets to hide, I feel like. That's where, you know, we would joke in news. Like, someone's getting a BJ in an airport. Right. It's probably going to be a Republican. Wiener, and, <laughs> right? Wasn't that oh, Wiener. Wiener was a Democrat, though. Yeah, okay. I'm just... That wasn't to offend Republicans, but let's be honest. I'm making the correlation between when we stand on a moral high ground, the tumble down is even higher. So, you know, we encourage people, live in your comfort zone, be a good person, don't harm other people. But it's just, you know, that's why I feel like we can't be overly judgmental about how people live their lives, because there will be a moment when you will be judged against the the things that are innate to your personality or your, you know, your spirit that people will try to hold against you. And then 
it's a different yeah. story. Right? I mean, I'll give you this like very brief recent example. So on the hockey side of the things that I do. Yes. Uh, tell everybody real quick what you do. Oh, so so I have a hockey know. podcast and I, I'm, we talk about, you know, just, tell us the name of it. Oh, okay. House of hockey podcast. House I of hockey. Shout out. It's my friend Breezy and we talk hockey right now. It's off season. So there's nothing to talk about. And we like to poke fun at some of the clothes, certain of some of the players wear. they're trying to be like very hip and trendy. And I totally just, you know, called out one of the players for looking absolutely ridiculous in like a crossbody fanny pack and like a fedora and like cut off like sweatpants shorts. You're like, this is hockey. You're too nerdy to pull this off. <laughs> what are you wearing? You're, you're like, this is, what are you doing? You know, like, I mean, I support people being stylish, but it's also, I have a platform in which I am supposed to be entertaining people and being for, coming from a place of like just right. chirping and being silly about it. And somebody on the internet was like, would you say that to that player's face? Does it even oh matter God. what he's wearing? And I wrote back and I said, actually, I would say it to his face. And it's called chirping and we're just having fun here. So we're like, fun. no, yeah, it doesn't fun. matter what he wears, but like, come on, everybody's thinking that he looks ridiculous. So why can't I say what people are thinking? And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So uh, now I'm never going to get hired by some like NHL team because I called out a player for what he's wearing. Like that's ridiculous. That's canceled. Like that's where this too much. gets ridiculous, where it's meant to come from a place of humor. And I'm not criticizing his children or his family. I'm talking about his freaking clothes. You know, it's like. I think too, like Robbie was saying that Dave Chappelle in particular deliberately crosses the line on some really, really delicate topics and isn't apologetic about it. And, uh, you know, there, there are sometimes I just want to laugh about how screwed up the world is. Like, you know, if you can't change it sometimes, you know, I, I do, I support that with all topics. Maybe not, but you know, I, I don't know. I feel like if there's an opportunity to like giggle about something, why not? Right. And not that's part of the cult, the hockey culture is, is, is meant to be somewhat poking fun at one another. My co-host pokes fun at me all the time. I admit if I screw things up, she, you know, we've got this sort of relationship. And just because it was like a clip on social media, this guy was like, oh yeah, well, let's make that happen. I go, bring oh it my on. God. Bring, bring me it the on. I've actually interviewed him before. So you know what? Bring, bring me the player and we'll talk. Okay. Rachel, like, I, I live problem. in fear of the internet clip. Do you know how right. many times someone could cut something up that you've said and just re <gasps> I live in fear of it. I truly had like sweats, like no. full on body sweats coming into this interview. And it was a relatively innocent topic because there are times where I feel like people are going to hear only what they want to hear. And yeah. we'll find a way to like, you know, make it sound a certain way and target you. But that's why I'm grateful for people like Robbie Suave, who is willing to go, wait a minute, the facts about that story, that's not oh my gosh. You know that whole article. Let me poke some holes in this. Oh, wait, right. the person was completely made up. And thank God we have people like him out there willing to go out publicly and say, 
that person is wrong and here's the proof why because in moments like that if we were if somebody were to just pull a snippet of something i had just said five minutes ago it could look like i'm a horrible person you know? oh yeah it's insane and if you look at the initial headlines that came out when robbie and a cohort of other journalists um started to flip the uva story on its head they were like um, you know piece of crap says, I don't know, whatever, right. you know, that UVA rape story may not actually be true or like shithead this. I mean, like a lot of, and then he ended up actually being, like he said, part of that group of journalists that did in fact prove that the story was wrong. And then everything immediately changed. You know, like he said, it's not a typical that a story of sexual assault or rape is it. A, the root of that is like a false report or a lack of a report. So maybe that's an sort of outlier case, but man, they, they went after him and, um, you know, well, I, wouldn't wanna, I wouldn't want to be doing that. Doug, I'm glad there's people who are out there that are still keeping their journalistic mindset and integrity yeah. and going, hold Here's, on. here's the only thing that I, cause I listened to Robbie's book, the majority of it on, on audiobook. I had free credit. So I decided to just listen rather than read this time. You know, I, I I liked Robbie. I feel like he brings up, he has done obviously some great work on some big stories, but what I worry about is that that case where it turned out to be, I'm saying a false report, but as Robbie said, it was never even actually reported, but we'll just use that term. Mm -hmm. Turned out to be a false report of a rape. Will be the case that um, people use to sort of deny other rape victim stories. And that troubles right. me. You know, it's a big uphill battle. And as anyone who's been sexually assaulted or victimized in any way knows, the first thing people say to you is, well, what were you wearing? Or like, why were you there? And I just worry that because it was such a huge case and it was legitimately just flipped a 180 that they'll say, well, remember UVA, that was false too. Mm -hmm. And that kills me a little bit, you know, but um, I agree. I don't think that, you, you know, take every you have to look at it on a case by case basis. Yeah. And those sorts of scenarios of of rape and sexual assault are very tricky. And, you Ugh. know, we know having worked in news, like if, you know, those sorts of things were written in a police report, it was like, okay, well, now we can't report on that. And and it's like you have to do your due diligence and you have to look into yeah. it and it, yeah. And you do, and you do, and you do, yeah. and and who are we to judge that that person at UVA was making a false claim or not? You know, yeah, why, that's not our job. That's why we have a social. That's why we have a not a social a justice system in place. Right. Yes, it fails us, but it's also supposed to be there to help us. Right. We had a live comment here from Tina who says. Um, now with sound editing software, people oh. can make you say things. Oh, I got deep fakes. Another thing I live in fear of. The file letter things that keep Sunny up at night. Deep fakes. <laughs> this is legit. Like my friend, actually our friend in news sent me a link. This was probably a year ago and it was all about deep fakes. And deep fakes are pretty much um, avatars. People can make that look just like you. They can say whatever and just say really, really awful stuff. And it can look just like you or a photo. And it is so close to reality that it looks real. And so I looked over at Andrew and I was like, this was in the middle of the pandemic. I just fit. And I was like, oh my God, deep fakes. I was like, what if somebody, he's like, what is wrong with you? Like dial it back. 
But it's true. All it takes is one awful pernicious person to take a sample of your voice and make up this false video. And there you go. You're trying to explain to everybody online. It really wasn't me. It was a deep fake. Oh my gosh. Horrible. I know. Technology works against us in some ways. So it's, it's um, something to be much more uh, aware of when making decisions about, you know, making public claims or, you know, being quoted in an article on the internet, because then when you Google your name, that comes up. And if you're looking for a job that comes up and then, you know, there's all these other elements that we, you know, that's a whole other topic. Speaking of stupid things, then we can wrap after this. Stupid things I've said in the past. You were saying when you Google your name for a while, oh, when you no. Google my name, there was an article when I started working at the uh, CBS affiliate in Pittsburgh. I was 21. It was two weeks out of college. I was just wet behind the ears and just like a total baby in every way. And one day I, I came in with brown hair when the day before I had like bright blonde hair. And I didn't know that that was a big deal back then because I, in the world that I had just come from, you change your hair whenever the hell you want to change your hair. It's like, I don't need to ask anyone permission. Well, my news director drags me in. It's this whole big thing. He's pissed off. He's like, what the hell are you doing? We're promoting you as a blonde. You're a brunette. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh my, I'm so sorry. Like, blah. And so the local paper interviewed me about it because it was some kind of, it was like a TV column and it was somehow worth reporting. And I said some, I'm so, I'm so embarrassed that I said this, but they quoted me as saying, because I did say, what? It's not a big deal. It's not like I shot the Pope or something. Ooh. I mean, like, what a horrible comparison to make. Why couldn't I have come up with something a little less graphic? And a, as a Catholic at that, I was like, well, how dumb. So these are the things that live on in perpetuity. Like, I, I just can't believe I was so just, just careless with my words. Couldn't I have come up with a better, like, allegory or or whatever it's called? I mean, you made you were making a point that was a very good that was like a very dramatic way of making your point but it's true like it's true what you it said. is true who cares you know but i was like oh. god i the years of media training since then have like trained me out of that i now i'm just trying to be very delicate with my words all the time but yeah so stupid things that i've said um we are, we're going to wrap up. Rach, yes. we are grateful for you popping on. And Always. sorry, guys, the things were a little backwards. We usually do all this. So um, thank you for sticking with us. And Tina, thank you for being here. And anybody who popped on live, as always, you can find write-ups, talk about other fun, frivolous topics on our blog, wegotatalk.com slash blog, and follow along on Instagram at Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. We do a bunch of fun stuff on social media, chop up these interviews and put up little video clips so you can watch um, the essence of the interview in just a couple of seconds. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. We will see you guys next week with more goodness. Have a wonderful day. See you soon.